The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers. If you're keeping track, this is Season 1, Episode number 5, and we have a lot more to come in 2015. Let's get started. The buzz today? School for IoT? Really? What are we talking about? I have a couple of questions for you. So you think your company can just dive right in and start reaping great value and benefits from IoT? That's the Internet of Things. Well, think again. Yes, we're poised for a dramatic increase in the number of devices, the number of connected things, the number of opportunities, a massive scale for interconnectivity. However, we still need IoT training and education to align the users, to align the devices, to get the technologies lined up, and maybe most important, to create the right kinds of thinkers known as technologists for IoT. In fact, we're already seeing a deficit of developers for existing apps and systems that help make the Internet of Things go round and round and round. So the question on the table today is, will we be able to bring new developers on board and up to speed fast enough to meet the soaring, exciting needs of the Internet of Things? I have a panel of experts waiting to help us answer this question. First up today is a newcomer to SAP Radio. He's Sanjay Sauger. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Quantilus, Q-U-A-N-T-I-L-U-S, and I I have a quote from Sanjay from Stephen Jay Gould, and Sanjay will tell us who this gentleman is. Here's the quote. There is no such thing as a fish, and fish is a capital F. Wow, what an opener. That's a provocative quote. Sanjay, how are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks. Thank you for joining me. Talk to me about the quote. Why did you pick it? How does it relate to our topic about education and training for the IoT? And who is Stephen Jay Gould? Why don't you enlighten us? Well, Stephen Jay Gould was an evolutionary biologist and a paleontologist um, from Harvard, I believe. And he studied fish and other marine biology for 20 years. And he made an observation that there is no common denominator biologically significant features that define what everybody calls the fish. The rest of us, fish is a very simple and obvious concept, but not for a biologist. So he came out and he said, well, there is no such thing as a fish. <laughs> now, to me, this serves as a personal reminder that what we commonly understand unambiguously and emphatically is often an oversimplification. And that applies to everything that we do in technology as well. So when we say and we talk about something as Internet of Things, 
from the outside world, people have very simple definitions. When we delve deeply into it, we will see, and we have seen so far, that things actually have various shades of gray. Interesting. So how does that relate specifically to our topic about bringing on board, educating, training, and bringing up to speed developers to make the Internet of Things go round and round and round, specifically? Sanjay, can you relate the quote to our topic? Yes, let me try that. Every time some developer uh, is kind of, you know, looking at what is new, what is exciting, what they want to be doing, they generally find some idea, some buzzword, so Internet of Things, big data. And when we're looking at something, we find out that when we look at that deeply enough, then big data, just as a term, is many, many things. You know, there is scale out or scale up. Uh, scale up. And similarly, in Internet of Things, we're talking about embedded devices at this time. But in many cases, all we're doing is we're taking a machine, a computer, and we are creating something around it, and that thing is, although new, not an existing thing, is then being prodded and is connected to the Internet. And uh, just to make a thing very clear, like if you have a car which has been there forever, it now has like 36 computers in it, but most of those are now programmed and many of them are connected to the Internet. And when you start programming in there, you will see that you will need to know many, many more things. So it's just not very simple, as it sounds from the outside. When you go in, you need subject matter expertise, domain knowledge about those things. And that is what I think where Stephen Gould becomes very relevant to the current day technology of Internet of Things. Thank you very much, Sanjay. Good to have you on the panel. We have a lot more coming from you during the show. Let's bring on our second panelist. It's Ed Anif, Vice President of Strategy at Apogee. We had Chet Kapoor from Apogee on our first show in this season, in this series. Uh, Ed sent me the following quote. First, he quotes Eric Schmidt, who is, by the way, the Executive Chairman of Google. And Eric Schmidt said, quote, The Internet is the first thing that humanity has built that humanity doesn't understand. And Ed Anoff adds the following commentary. If that's true, then it sounds like we've got our work cut out for us when it comes to the Internet of Things. Welcome, Ed Anoff. How are you today? I am great. I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So talk to me about your selection of a quote from Eric Schmidt and your commentary and related to our topic, please. Well, you know, I I think that one of the observations that I've had in, in following the Internet of Things for, for some time now uh, has been that, uh, you know, people get focused on, on a number of aspects of, of IoT, on the devices, on, um, uh, you know, the software, of all of the pieces around it. And uh, what gets lost in a lot of the, the um Buzz is that the most um, important thing about the Internet of Things is is the Internet. You know, so I like to, to say, you know, the I in IoT is the Internet. And we've had sensors, you know, on the factory floor and embedded in devices for years, decades now, in fact. Uh, you know, modern uh, automotive factory, many of the pieces of technology that people are going to talk about in conjunction with IoT have existed for some time now. Industrial networks. Um, are, are not a new thing. Um, but it's the Internet and, you know, people talk about things like Metcalf's Law and the number of connections and the total value, you know, being being the, the exponential product of all of that. 
all, all that magic happens because the internet is at the center of that. And so, um, I think that just the way that we are still, you know, only, you know, uh, uh, a couple of decades into understanding what the internet really is about, um, and and people are still finding new ways to to uh, you know unlock tremendous amounts of value from the internet. I think that that by that same token, um, Internet of Things uh, is going to take us a long time to fully understand and master. And um, and, you know, we are, are still at sort of the, the infinitesimally smallest first step in, in understanding that. Okay. Thank you very much, Ed. Very interesting. Uh, how do, let's just relate this to our topic. How does this relate to developers? Are, are they the ones who would be, maybe we're calling them data scientists. I don't know what their background would be, Ed, the ideal person to be on board and figuring out all the apps and putting the pieces together. Are they getting lost in the buzz? Is it possible that, that they're not seeing literally what we used to call the forest for the trees and seeing that, yes, I could have a career in this. I could be a developer making major inroads and helping the world understand the Internet of Things. Uh, where do you think developers come into this? Well, I think that, you know, developers are, uh, you know, the uh, primary force more than anything else that is going to make IoT succeed or not. And I think one of the things we've seen with the prior uh, technology waves, starting from the web itself, uh, I think we've all gone through this uh, with, uh, with mobile um, and, and IoT, as this next wave, we're going to see the same thing, which is that uh, the, the fluency of an expertise and competency of, de- of developers in dealing with this um, is going to, to need to increase. Uh, um, uh, you know, if you looked at mobile a few years ago, um, uh, the only companies that could build mobile apps were were, you know, the startups in Silicon Valley. And the reason was because there was, you know... Um, uh, a very small set of, of developers that actually understood mobile, that knew how to build an app for the iPhone, uh, for example, and they were in short supply. And uh, at that point, that meant that the number of companies that were going to become mobile experts was, was going to be very constrained. Um, now, you go and talk to you know any enterprise company, and they've got you know mobile developers, they've got mobile apps. We've just gone through Black Friday, which, uh, by all accounts, you know, from a retail standpoint, I'm reading, you know, all of this business conducted over mobile apps. Well, what changed between, you know, three, four, five years ago when, um, you know, nobody could find uh, developers and, and now um, where, you know, businesses are, are conducting their, their major transactions over mobile, what happened was developers um, the developers came, the developers learned, they mastered the technology, they built the apps, uh, and so on. Well, IoT is going to follow that same path to, to some degree. Uh, the developers are going to have to learn and master it. Um, it's new technologies. Um, it spans disciplines. Every time that there's a new, interesting type of, of technology, it brings new people to the table. And you mentioned data scientists. Mm-hmm. Um one of the things that everybody seems to agree about in terms of, of IoT is that it's about generating huge amounts of data, sensors everywhere that are all continuously streaming data uh, that has to be analyzed, has to be processed. So now you've got data scientists in the equation, people who know how to deal 
with these real-time streams of data and do interesting and meaningful things. Ask anybody uh, who currently is trying to hire data scientists, what they'll tell you is uh, there aren't enough of these people. Well, where do those people come from? Those, are, those people are the same people in technology today. We're not going to invent an entirely new uh, you know, population of people. It's, it's the people today who are going to, one way or another, uh, hopefully through, you know, uh, great training material and great books and great, uh, sources of information who will, who will become those experts. Um, we, we, we can't just wait for a whole new generation of people to suddenly appear on the scene or IoT is going to take, take uh, quite a long time to arrive. Thank you very much, Ed. Good insights, and we appreciate that. Thanks again for joining us today, and let's bring on our third panelist. It's Ira Burke at SAP, and here's Ira's quote from Scott Cook, the founder of Intuit. Scott Cook says, quote, We're still in the first minutes of the first day of the Internet revolution. I want to say hallelujah, Ira Burke. Thank you for joining me today. How are you, Ira? I'm doing great. Thanks, Bonnie. We have you on the air two weeks in a row. This is or two shows in a row. This is a treat. So tell me, uh, you've been listening to your co-panelists Sanjay Sagar and Ed Anif talk about our topic, education and training for the Internet of Things. Why don't you relate the wonderful Scott Cook quote to our topic, and then you can comment on what they said. Go ahead, Ira. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. So um, one of the most interesting things about Scott's comment is that he made it in May of 2000, right? So um, it's it's a 15-year-old quote almost, and, and still extremely relevant today. Um, he actually, he made the quote, um, actually, he said it just uh, a, a several uh, weeks before he acquired the startup company where we were working. It was true then. It was, uh, it, it was really words of encouragement when the boom and bust cycle started in the, in the internet. And, uh, and we can see now with IoT, we're right back um, uh, at the beginning of something, right? So just like, uh, just like Sanjay was saying and just like Ed was saying, right, we have an awful lot to learn. Uh, about uh, about the Internet of Things. Um, we have a lot that developers are going to need to get comfortable with in order to make progress, and we have a big challenge to make them productive as quickly as we can using the best tools that we have at our disposal to uh, to start taking advantage of this uh, of this brand-new opportunity. Okay, thank you very much. And you know what, Ira, I think we're going to take this opportunity to find out what your co-panelists are drinking today, and then we will circle back to you. So here we go, Sanjay Sagar at Quantalus. What's in your cup today, Sanjay, or what do you wish you're drinking right after the show? And where are you calling from, Sanjay? I'm calling from New York City, right here, offices in downtown Manhattan. Okay, I'm on Long Island, so welcome to my part of the world. And what are you drinking? Uh, I was drinking a cup of tea, black tea, uh, which I've been drinking ever since. Uh, Lipton, to be precise. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, that, that's a throwback. Is this good old-fashioned, plain old, traditional, can't, can't do anything better than Lipton? I mean, it, it, it is good. It's good tea, and we all grew up on it. So is this why you drink it? or have, have, uh, I don't know. We haven't heard anybody mention Lipton tea in about 1,000 guests, so I'm very intrigued. Talk to me, Sanjay. Well, um, it's the availability heuristic, really. Uh, when I was growing up in India, uh, you get tea. Uh, Lipton was the major brand. And now have, I have had opportunity of working on three continents. And wherever I have gone, I have found Lipton there. So good to me, uh, I assume. Um, what I do wonder sometimes is that 
300 years ago, uh, England colonized a lot of countries in Asia looking for the, for the leaf, looking for tea. And now, everywhere, you can find tea and nobody is colonized. The way business is conducted is completely different. It's an homage, in a way, like this Lipton thing. It's ubiquitous. It's there. It's still on the shelves. It's very available. Thank you. I, I, you just took me by surprise. I love good stories. Thank you so much, Sanjay, for sharing. Ed Anif, where are you calling from and what's in your cup? Uh, well, I am uh, drinking a soy latte. Oh, what does that taste like? Well, it tastes great. And I got it from our local coffee shop here in San Francisco. And uh, to uh, expand in Sanjay's uh, conversation or point, uh, Silicon Valley colonized uh, San Francisco uh, in search of good coffee. Okay, thank you very much. That sounds interesting. Ira Burke, what's in your cup today and where are you? Are you in Connecticut, Ira? I am calling in from Stanford, Connecticut. And, okay. uh, you know, right before the show, I went to get a cup of coffee and was surprised to find a little K-cup with chock full of nuts. And I was thinking, well, I, I remember when I first started uh, working in New York City that they were, you know, on every corner, I guess, where the Starbucks are now. And so it was a little bit of a throwback to find that back in the, uh, in the K-cup now. So, but that's what's, in my, uh, that's what's in my coffee cup today. Isn't that funny? And when I went browsing the aisles of Walbams, and Ira probably knows, and Sanjay might, that's still one of the the, the old long term shop supermarkets uh, here in New York, at least. I went shopping for uh, whatever was on sale. Excuse me, in terms of K cups, and I was looking for something decaf because Ira knows they don't let Bonnie have caffeine on radio show days. Heaven forbid. And I found an old brand in K cups. I found Martinsons, and isn't what? that? Isn't that a throwback, too, to the chock-full-of-nuts days, Martinson's Coffee, Ira, Definitely. remember? Definitely. Yeah. So I had a cup well before the show. Please don't worry about it. We'll be fine. <laughs> Thank you for the stories. This is a Throwback Wednesday here. I really appreciate it. We're talking right now with three very interesting panelists. We've got Sanjay Sagar at Quantilus. We've got Ed Anuff at Apogee and Ira Burke at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to The Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. Very important topic. If you're curious about the IoT, Internet of Things, we'll tell you a little more about it, but more importantly, we want I don't know who's making it run. Who are the people with the minds and the brains and the ways of thinking? Who are the developers, in other words, who are going to be providing what it takes to keep all of this moving together and all of this, what we call massive interconnectivity? Very important to how we live, how we work, how we play, and the future of everyone everywhere. So don't even think of touching that dial. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Michael, out. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. 
These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Here we are. Welcome back. Our topic today is education and training for the Internet of Things. Is there such a thing as IoT school? Maybe that's a question we should be asking. My panelists today are Sanjay Sagar at Quantilus, Ed Anif at Apigee, that's A-P-I-G-E-E, and Ira Burke at SAP, and you all know how to spell that. We're going to kick off our roundtable. Let's see, we're going to go for a almost 30 minutes straight nonstop, so panelists, please put your seatbelts on. We're going to take a long trip here. Sanjay Sagar, we're going to start out with you, and you sent me the following notes before the show, so here's where I'd like to start the first conversation thread. You said regarding education, tech education, you say the education experience both in the classroom and at home is inevitably going to follow the path lit by tech innovation, making most kids very happy and most adults not so much. So talk to me, Sanjay, very provocative. What are we talking about? Well, the way I look at it is biological neural networks. The things we are comfortable with are the things that we acquired earlier in life. The first language, you know, the way we grew up, the scenes, Everything becomes part of our being as we grow. Now, my daughter, who is four, she one day tried to touch the, the screen of television, and she tried to swipe it as if it <laughs> was an iPad. And she started to cry, and she was only one and a half years of age at that time, and she started to cry, why is this not moving? This is a completely new universe. It's a brand new world here. She meets with her grandmother every day on Skype. Grandmother lives in Taiwan. That's how the guests come to your home nowadays. So for my five, four-year-old, the life has completely different meanings because of technology. On the other side is my mother, who still can make a Skype call, where I got her a computer, but she cannot receive one, which is a very strange thing. She's okay with clicking a button, but she's not okay clicking a button on a pop-up when it shows up. So there's a huge divide, right? Now the kids are having iPads at school, they don't carry big bags, or at least that's what the plan is, and no books, no notebooks, even your exams, and the teachers are having the same, and everybody is communicating with each other on these tablet devices that they're carrying everywhere. So that is second major for them. But when they go home, and their mothers and fathers or grandparents, they carried books. 
they are looking for some kind of paper, some kind of weight that is absent here. So they're terribly uncomfortable. They don't know what is going on. The way they gauged and measured success is no longer available in the form factors that they were familiar with. So it is going to change. It has changed already. The, the, the discomfort already exists in, in, the, in our experience because we work with a lot of education companies. And we have seen all of these things. And much more uh, uncomfortable one gets when the, the generation of teachers who come and they say, well, this is not absolutely everything. We have to introduce it. In, in a step ladder way and maybe we can do something with, with, with technology but not everything let's not do the whole thing and there is a separate dialogue going on in there but that dialogue does not exist when you're talking to the kids they're absolutely alright with talking to machines all the time Interesting. This this is I I have observed this in my own granddaughter. Uh, the younger one, uh, Sanjay, is now let's see, she's thirteen. And when she was three, both both she and her older sister, older by two years, had their own Macintosh by the time they were three. And at this three year old. Uh, climbed up on a chair and said to me, Grandma, let's play My Little Pony. And she got up on a chair in her in her bedroom and approached this computer and grabbed the mouse at the time, not the touchscreen, and was able to color in the different parts of My Little Pony and articulate that. And I was just, what? Really? So I, I, I fully agree with you. Very, very interesting. Um, Ed Anif, why don't you re- can you relate to this? What do you see in terms of the great divide in the generations in terms of tech education? Well, you know, I do think that familiarity with with new technology, you know, like anything else, does seem to, uh, you know, favor uh, getting new ideas to you, new knowledge uh, at a younger age. Uh, that that seems to have been a, a time honored tradition. I think the interesting thing has been that new forms of learning, uh, the things we see like Khan Academy and a lot of these uh, other learning mechanisms, are finding that people can really learn at any age. And I think that's fascinating. I think that's very important to us as a uh, civilization and as a, as a um, uh, because, you know, new skills are becoming necessary. Uh, jobs change so quickly uh, that people have to be able to observe and, uh, you know, and learn new skills really at any point in their lives. So uh, thankfully, the science has disproved the idea that people uh, can't learn languages after a certain age or can't pick up new new concepts after a certain age. What they've found has been that people learn differently at different ages and that, you know, I think that, that e-learning uh, is uh, adapts to that and makes that possible. So I'm, I'm very heartened about that, and I think people who work in technology uh, have experienced this firsthand. I think very few of us are using the same technologies, the same devices, the same computers, the same languages that we were 10 years ago, and we all learned that somehow, and I think that mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that is something that, that, you know, continuous learning throughout your life is something that, that we all have to, to be prepared for, and I think the technology is, is supporting that. Very well put, Ed. I want to ask you, before we bring Ira Burke into this conversation, I want to ask you, do you think this bodes well for the younger, younger, younger generation, or maybe even up to the millennials, who I'm told are going to be start turning 35 this year? OMG, 
really approaching what we used to call middle age. I don't know what you call it anymore. <laughs> I'm a boomer, so I'm out of that discussion. However, do you think that means this is a natural fit for people who cut their teeth, who honed their whole educational focus, their educational style on on web devices and on the digital tools? Uh, do you think they're the ones who are going to be wildly successful in this world of, of developing what we're calling the Internet of Things? You know, I think that they obviously are going to be the, the people who live in that world where it's pervasive. So I think that that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, I think that, you know, when it comes to learning, I think we are still doing a lot of learning about learning. There's, there was another study that I came across about, uh, and it, it's, it's echoed my own experience with, uh, with e-books, uh, that they're finding that really across age ranges, whether it's, whether it's, you know, four-year-olds or 40-year-olds, that, uh, people's, um, uh, retention is not as strong if they read something on an a ebook versus paper. And I, I'm somebody who's very much a, a neophile. I love the technology. I love, uh, ebooks. I was looking forward to being able to get rid of, of having bookshelves full of books and, and I've been buying things on ebook. But that's been my own experience as well, that, that for whatever reason, things don't stick as well when you're experiencing it through the, the uh, ebook. And I, I think that might just be something about the pace of it. Um, but those are the types of things we're going to learn that, you know, we're, I think we, we, again, as a culture, we're going to learn that one way or another, what works best. Then the cool mm-hmm. thing about IOT is, is that it's all instrumented and data driven. So these things will be able to adapt. And if things aren't working, it won't take us 10 years to learn it. We'll, we'll know it, uh, you know, the next day after the kids have come home from school, uh, you know, we'll have solid data as to how much did they, they retain that day. Very good points, Ed. I'm thinking of gamification. We've done shows on uh, episodes on several of our SAP radio theme series about how gamification is making education for people of all ages much more interesting and much more focused and quick. So we might get into that later. Thank you. Ira Burke, I know you have a lot to say. We've been talking about who is adaptable to what kind of learning, who's going to be most suitable for these kinds of skills. What do you see? Well, so, so a couple of things. First of all, I think it's a, uh, it's a continuous process, right? So even though in recent years it looks like a dramatic change, um, I, I can remember um, – you know, from, from 20 or 30 years ago, a child who couldn't turn on a television because there was no remote and, uh, and she had no idea that you had to walk up to it and push a button to, uh-huh. uh, to turn it on, right? So, uh, so, so there's this, uh, this change is a little bit constant. Uh, by the way, I strongly agree with what Ed is saying about the, uh, the more traditional ways of, uh, of reading and writing, aiding retention. Um, you know, anybody who's seen me walk into a meeting knows that I walk in uh, with a... Uh, paper-based Franklin planner, and that's the way that I write down and remember stuff. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I, I remember you, if those. I try, if, I, if I try to type it into anything, right, I don't care if it's you know, laptop, iPhone, whatever, um, I'm not going to remember it nearly as well uh, as if, if, if I've taken the time to organize it and write it down. Uh, so I think, uh, I think we are going to see an evolution and a blend, and it's, it's always ongoing. Um, very, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Sanjay, any comments on what your co-panelists have said on the point you started a few minutes ago, Sanjay Sagar? Um, I I am the same generation. I do write with a fountain pen myself. But at the same time, the study that, that we're talking about, and of course there are going to be many, many parameters on uh, what how stickiness is defined nowadays, what kind of materials, what kind of volumes and fluxes are going on. But again, this is a completely separate discussion, but what Ira said is very interesting, uh, to me at least, 
that, you know, there is an evolution that is going to go on. Now, we have, at this time, uh, dichotomy. We're saying, okay, it's electronic versus paper. And we are looking at it, we as in the people, four people here, are from a generation where we have had taste of both of these. Now, to a generation who never had a taste of, of a book, who has never seen a book, I mean, there will be one such generation uh, if everything goes uh, like it is going, then uh, probably this kind of comparison will not be able, will not be able to make. But at the same time, I believe because they will be just evolving one particular way, there will be no hindrance in their mind, which may be in, in our generation's mind, saying, what am I looking at? I'm looking at a screen. I should have been looking at a book, or I should have been writing it down using a pen and a paper instead of typing it up, right? We don't know what is going on in our heads. It's neural nets. That's how I opened my dialogue. It's our familiarity, the way we learned, how things were exposed to us, and then all of those things become a part of who we are and, and so on. So I think a lot needs to be seen. And of course, we may not even be there to see all of this. But what we know for sure is that the things are getting uh, completely different. The way education, uh, whether it is what we know now and the devices that we have now and how devices are going to change. This whole entire pattern is going to go towards more dynamic content, which can only be poss which can only be made possible using computation and mm -hmm. connectivity. And we will not have, you know, uh, these kinds of hindrances because there is a, a much more evolved uh, universe or ecosystem out there for the next generations to come. Thank you, Sanjay. Ed, Anna, I'm going to start a new conversation thread looking at the points in your notes you sent me before the show. And uh, Sanjay just brought up the word devices, and that's a perfect segue, I think. You say, IoT is about the network, not the devices. And you pose this provocative question. Are there actual network effects, or are you just doing industrial automation with a cool new name? Interesting. Ed, talk to me. Well, yeah, I mean, I... That question is one that I think anybody who's looking at IoT really needs to to ask themselves because the question of of network effects uh, is really I think what's going to distinguish whether these uh, these projects these investments people make really get the, uh, the the return that they expect or not from them. Um, and so let me, you know, let me elaborate a little bit on what I mean by this first, because I really don't have the answer to the question. That's why I posed mm -hmm. it. Sure. Uh, you know, if if you're in a modern office building, all of the air conditioning and all of the lights and the elevators and all of that is already centrally controlled by a computer. So when people start talking about sensors and all of these use cases, they start talking about a lot of that is already there today. And when you go to a modern automobile manufacturing uh, facility, it's all robots. It's all controlled. Uh, you know, industrial automation is something that's existed for some time. And again, when people start talking about IoT, they start throwing that, they start using examples like that. And so the question that I have is, what is IoT more than that? What, what, where is the Internet in all of this? And we're seeing some examples of it, and this is why Google goes and buys uh, Nest, the, the internet-controlled thermostat, and that's because they're viewing that there's somehow going to be a, um, you know, some network value by having 
all of these homes uh, centrally linked together, uh, perhaps the data that gets collected in aggregate out of all of those will somehow be uh, able to be used to get better energy efficiency. And maybe the connections between that will, you know, allow you to, uh, you know, better share that data with, uh, you know, with other members of your family, allow them to control the thermostats from home. I don't know. I mean, again, it's, it, there, there's a lot of, of questions and possibilities here, but simply controlling a device remotely or looking at a single device remotely is not a new thing. We've had it there for a while. Maybe as a side effect of Internet of Things, the cost of doing that will get less, and that's good and that's beneficial, but it's not the real promise. It's not what what caused the Internet of Things to become sort of this topic that everybody wanted to talk about. Interesting, interesting. Ira Burke, have to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, so uh, so I think Ed raises a uh, a really important question. Uh, I think we're starting to see some of these network effects come together uh, when we start to analyze the data right across um, across different pockets of information. So if industrial automation is about making sure that one factory is running correctly or one piece of machinery is running correctly, um, once we have these things on the internet, once they can start to exchange and share information with each other, once we start to be able to analyze patterns and trends across people doing the same thing in different locations. A uh, simple example is the, uh, the navigation system Waze, W-A-Z-E, for people who use that app on their, uh, on their iPhone or on their Android. Right? Um, you know, it it might have been in the past that an app like that could give you a map and tell you where you are, but now because you've got hundreds and thousands of people using it at the same time, you can use the aggregate information from where they are to find yourself a better route to get where you're going. Right, and uh, and the same thing is true about agricultural equipment. Right, if you know the soil conditions over a wider area, you can make better decisions about um, about how the machinery is going to run. Just as another as as another example, and I think we'll start to see the effects, the value of that network as we get further and further into the topic of IoT. Thank you very much, Sanjay. Any thoughts on this? Any examples? Uh, did you like the one that Ira shared with us about ways? Anything you'd like to add? Yes, absolutely. I, I just wanted to add this one statement here, uh, which is very well known in the circles of IoT. There is no IoT without big data, right? Uh, the example that Ed gave of uh, Nest basically is uh, is a predictive algorithm. And when it comes to predictive algorithms, data trumps algorithm all the time. So there is, if we collect more data, we have more patterns. If we have more patterns, we have better predictability. So in a way, IoT and big data have to work together, and we will always find that um, more data is collected and more data is utilized and more the, the application becomes human-friendly. So this is the underlying architecture, I believe, that is undeniable. Interesting. Ed Anif, thoughts on that? Agree? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think that the idea is, you know, how can you get as many streams of data as possible? And then I think, you know, to connect it uh, to Ira's point, I think that you start to get into lots of interesting use, use cases where, uh, you know, going to your factory, uh, you know, where can you take data 
that is coming from, uh, you know, your products in use, your, your cars and how often they're breaking down and so on in aggregate, and perhaps use that stream of data to actually, uh, you know, improve uh, uh, certain, uh, you know, parts of, uh, that are being manufactured for the car or perhaps uh, use that to increase the production of replacement parts. Um, these are all things where where that stream of data can be turned into uh, into sort of continuous action uh, in in a feedback loop, if you will. Thank you. I think we're ready to go in a slightly new direction. Ira Burke at SAP, you know what's coming next. I'm looking at your talking points you sent me before the show, and I found something very interesting and very timely. You are citing here in your notes a Wall Street Journal article, November 19, 2014, just a few weeks ago, called, everybody get ready, Amazon Robots Get Ready for Christmas. And it's about automated devices are moving items directly to the workers in a California warehouse of Amazon, tripling, tripling, employee productivity and Ira's opening point is the Internet of Things is having a profound impact on the way service is delivered. Ira, how did this article catch your attention and why don't you tell us a little more about it, please? Well, the thing that caught my attention was, was the robots, but, but when, you, when you think about it, uh, when you think about what's going on, think about Amazon that started as a website for purchasing, right? So it just had a few business processes that were moving to, uh, to the Internet. Right, as, as Amazon came online. And now it's the stuff, right? It's the, it's the actual objects that you're buying are, are being physically manipulated by information that's coming across the internet, orders that are coming across the internet, inventory controls that are being managed the same way. Um, so now, um, the, this, this idea of tripling productivity, the article says it's happening because workers don't have to walk up and down factory or you know, warehouse aisles anymore, but the stuff they need to pick and ship is coming to them on, uh, on top of a robot. And uh, and so the internet becomes more pervasive. I thought it was a very direct and practical application of the uh, of the Internet of Things and how it starts to not only sense information in the environment but manipulate the environment here in a very direct way that's going to affect people's um, holiday shopping. It will on both ends, from the productivity side, from the manufacturer side, from the delivery side, and happy customers. And then we have social media and people saying, wow, I got it on time. And we've got a tripling of employee productivity and maybe a tripling of Christmas and Hanukkah happiness, Ira. What do you think of that? I think that's, I think that's great. I certainly, uh, my, my kids will think it is great, too. <laughs> I will, too. Now, Sanjay Sagar, on this point, I understand you're an expert on Google Glass, and we'd love to hear some examples about what how this relates to our topic. Sanjay, you want to share some with us? Yeah, sure. I mean, Google Glass, the way I look at it is, in, especially in industrial usage, wherever a human being needs to use both hands, right, for doing whatever job they're performing. Yet at the same time, they need to access some information. And it's also possible that they want somebody else in the organization to see what you are seeing simultaneously with you. Then a wearable device like Google Glass can work miraculously, right? And there are so many use cases around this. If you're walking down, either you're working in the factory, you're working in a warehouse, you're, you're a surgeon, you're operating somewhere, you're a teacher, whatever, wherever you are, a policeman, it's a, it's a wonderful case. They need to have their hands doing whatever humanly they do with their hands. 
But at the same time, they need access to a computer. The computer is connected to the Internet because the, the corpus of information resides elsewhere because it's too large to be carried at this time. That is where this device comes into picture. And we have created some applications uh, in which uh, we can increase the productivity in a completely different way as Amazon, as Ira was just talking about. This productivity is, uh, is increased when human beings who are doing something with their hand on an assembly line or they're walking down the aisles on either side, they have products and they need to identify what the product is. But if they just look at the product, and they want to know something about that product. And it may be from that company, but the company may be making thousands of things. So the system can identify the, the product, can get all the information that is required from there. You need to know the processes and how to use this product or this part within this organization where you want to place an order. You can do all of those things without actually going to a traditional computer, without touching a keyboard or a mouse. Now, this is wonderful. This is top-notch productivity. This, at the same time, will allow human beings to do things that only human beings can do. So, in a way, it increases the value of an individual, or at least the productivity that can be brought in. And this is not the same. This could not have been done earlier. This is just physically and logistically not possible. So that is what uh, what wonders me, and that is what 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 excites me at the same time. And we're working with wearable computing. Sanjay, it's exciting to you and your company. But what about people listening, people anywhere who are saying, "Wow, I want a career in that. I want to make a difference. I want the education and training to help me develop what they're talking about on this show." Who are those people? Where are they? What excitement do they need to feel before they jump in feet first into IoT development? Well, the, the, the kids in college are uh, very smart nowadays. I must say that. I'm out of college for 22 years now, and when I uh, interview young people, and they've been hiring a lot of young people, um, when they're out of college, they really know the initial trends. Uh, but yes, the problem that you just mentioned, it's, it's kind of hard at this time uh, because there is, uh, there is a lag. Technology the availability of technology and the availability of jobs in certain technologies kind of leads uh, what the colleges are are teaching. So, in in what colleges are teaching, kind of lags a little a little bit, and sometimes a little more than what industry needs. And we might as well be seeing that in in other things at this time. Um, there are no easy solutions, but I'm sure the solutions are evolving. More I see on the web and, you know, people offering some kind of courses. And at this time, um, I'm not quite sure of if, if a lot of universities have courses in this respect. But there are, there are materials you can, you can, you can access. And uh, people get together. There are meetup groups also. So mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays a whole bunch of opportunities have sprung up. Uh, not for everyone, I'm sure. I mean, if you're growing up somewhere in a small town in Kentucky, the things are going to be much more difficult. Uh, you will be the only one in that meetup. Um, but, well, we uh, always have the MOOC, Sanjay. We always have the online massive education trainings, and maybe that's a way people can learn more. I w- thank you. I want to bring Ed Anif into this. Ed, what are your thoughts about getting people excited to jump into this world, jump into this pool and get trained for IoT development? Thoughts? 
Well, so, you know, I think that there's a lot of excitement uh, among young people, um, and saying that makes me feel old, but, um, uh, <laughs> you know, in terms of IoT, and I think part of it is sort of the return to physicality of, of computing. I think that that's, you know, if you think back to, you know, all of our generation, when we got started on, on learning computers, this was back in the days of, of the Apple II, of all of these things where it was like, you know, a, uh, you know, it was all stuff you were touching, you were, um, uh, you know, even just putting a, a disc in a disc drive when was the last time anybody did that and, and all that. It, 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 you get that with IoT. Uh, outside of IoT, uh, computing, learning about computing, it's all very virtual. Uh, it's lost that tactile aspect to it. And so you go to these hackathons, you go to these meetups, all of you go to these workshops of IoT and everybody's there wiring things up. They're getting immediate results. Sometimes of course they're getting a puff of smoke if they hooked up the wires wrong. Um, but <laughs> it is very uh exciting and immediately rewarding and uh you see um, similar things happening with the the Raspberry Pi as an example. That was why it was invented. Uh, as a teaching computer, because uh, in the UK they had felt that the computer education had gotten too far from, from uh, you know, uh, the, the early days when everybody knew what was in the box. Um, and so I don't actually think it's a problem in getting people, uh, it, getting getting that generation excited about it. I think that, that what's going to be important to sustain it is that there's going to actually have to be sort of a business and an industry around IoT so that learning all of these things actually translates into a, uh, you know, an actual career path. Um, you know, that's part of the reason why, why, you know, a lot of that went away was because a lot of conventional manufacturing had, had gone away. And so, so even if you liked all that, there wasn't really much you could do with it. Ira Burke, chime in here. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, I, look, I, I think that there, is, uh, there are a lot of new things uh, to learn, right? The uh, the traditionally we we have we have we have a lot of people who can build a website, build an app, and I think that as we're exploring how to really take advantage of the Internet of Things, I think we need to um, reemphasize some things that may have been a little bit uh, lost over time. Get a little bit closer to the hardware. Get a little bit closer to understanding not just what's being calculated, but where it's being calculated, where the effects are going to happen. Uh, we need to have a uh, generation of developers who can think about what needs to happen at the edge of the network, down down close to the devices. What needs to happen in the center? What happens in terms of analysis? Right? There are uh, there are so many things to uh, to think about, and so many new directions to go. And uh, and I think that um, you know there's it, it it's it's very exciting. It's not necessarily um, like 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 the others are saying. It's not in the curriculum right now necessarily, um, but it but it needs to be over time. I think we're going to see more of it. I think we're going to see more creativity, more specialization, um, and more ways to uh, to get uh, developers engaged on topics that may not have been accessible to them until now. You almost gave me your prediction there, Ira Burke. I want you to hang on to that. We've got six minutes left till the end of the show. I'm going to give each of you 90 seconds. That's it to give me your predictions. What do you think will be happening with education and training for the IoT? Let's fast forward to perhaps the year 2020. Sanjay Sagar at Quantalus, 90 seconds predictions. Go. Well, um, the devices are going to get smaller. They're going to get faster, more efficient, 
less energy consuming, which means you won't probably require charging. So there's going to be prevalence of, of IoT. It's just we'll be carrying multiple devices embedded into the shoes, carrying whatever. But one more thing that is going to happen is there's going to be better biological interfacing. So you will be able to think and do things. And we've seen that in a very nascent stage at this time. You can put a band on your head and you can say yes or no to a device. And I think carbon will replace silicon in certain ways. And it is going to become more and more of that in a very short time. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Short and sweet and to the point, yes. And Ed Anuf at Apogee, I can give you the same 90 seconds for your predictions. What do you see coming down the pike? Well, you know, we used to predict that every company was going to become a software company because uh, it was all, you know, going to become digital and technology and all of that stuff. And I think that, that you know, every company is now going to become a hardware company, a manufacturing company. And I think that that's, you know, we already see that with insurance companies now that are, also selling you a little device that you stick onto your car that gives you discounts and stuff. And so I think that IoT is part of, of this kind of return to uh, building things for, uh, you know, for, for the world, uh, for the real world. And I think uh, everybody uh, is going to, that's going to require a little bit of an about face in learning. I think that Everybody who was focused on writing code uh, for the last 10 years is going to need to be learning about, you know, how does all, the, how do all of these devices work. And I think it's going to be great for the whole new generation of, of people who are coming up through the schools and colleges in terms of, of a whole new set of things to learn. And uh, they're going to generate a lot of great ideas out of that and a whole bunch of new businesses that we haven't even imagined yet. So I, I view the whole thing as incredibly exciting. It's all part of one of these big new waves in uh, technology and computing that, uh, you know, are, is really going to sweep through everything. Thank you very much, Ed Anif at Apogee and Ira Burke. Let's see, I've saved you. Oh, you can have a whole two minutes if you want. <laughs> Go ahead, Ira. Everybody, your co-panelists were so concise that we have a little more time left over for you. So go ahead, Ira Burke, wow us. No, they were. And it's, uh, first of all, it's true, right, that I think we've seen uh, through the discussion, there is, uh, look, there's a lot of new things that people need to learn, a lot of new ways to learn them. And I think that uh, we're going to see both of those come together, right, in new and exciting ways. That in order for the coming generation of developers to be effective, to be efficient, to get things done, to build this new environment is going to take the technology that's available. They're going to have to be able to leverage what's coming, um, whether it's the new technologies that let you be more productive in the field, whether it's the new technologies that make it easier to interconnect systems, to build the networks, uh, whether it's the new technologies of uh, devices with the cost going down, with the capabilities going up, um, and the ability to bring information together, but then to push action back, back out to the edge of the network. Right? All of these are going to mutually reinforce each other to create a generation of systems, a generation of developers, a generation of capabilities uh, that we've only just started to, uh, to imagine. And, uh, and, and I think it's, it's extremely exciting. I think that you know, whenever, we're, uh, whenever we're talking about this topic, everybody who hears it has their own ideas, their own um, new visions for where they can take their own businesses, how it applies. Um, and I think these are all uh, very good signs that we're at the beginning of, a, uh, of an exciting new wave of uh, technology, and it's really exciting to be a part of it. 
Thank you, Ira. It is exciting to be a part of it. Here you go. We're in the era and the age of Internet radio, and that's why we have listeners around the world who are going to appreciate the words of wisdom of my three guests today, Sanjay Sagar at Quantilus, Ed Anaf at Apogee, and Ira Burke at SAP. I want to thank also, thank you to my panelists, thank you to Darren Crowder for sponsoring this series, and Ira Burke, you're my honcho for the editorial calendar, bringing on great guests like Sanjay and Ed. So thank you to you. Let's see what's coming up. Tomorrow I'll be back with, uh, what's tomorrow, Thursday? We have the Innovating Innovation with Game Changer series. Yes, we have 10 different series, so even I get confused once in a while. We'll be having a great topic tomorrow. So I want to say my call to action for everyone. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. We already are. See you tomorrow right here on the Business Channel on Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Thank you to Michael and the crew at the Business Channel. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.